Thank you for listening to the BJJ Brick Podcast. We'll be bringing you Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and good times. We hope to flatten your Jiu-Jitsu learning curve, help you get the most out of your grappling ability, and meet your goals both on and off the mat. Welcome back, my friends, to episode 103 of the BJJ Brick Podcast. My name is Byron. Uh, usually I'm here with Gary, but uh, this week uh, we're, we were unable to get together for this episode, so uh, I'm flying solo here, but luckily I have a great interview with a gentleman named Chris Pepandria. He's going to be talking about Mission 22 and what they uh, do and uh, how how they're helping out the community uh, and how they're helping out uh, soldiers with PTSD. So a very important episode. Uh, you could easily become a, a better teammate to somebody or uh, maybe learn some stuff uh, that would help you out uh, this episode. So um, a lot of, a lot of uh, good information uh, from our friend Chris. I want to remind everybody that if you want to get the BJJ Brick podcast since your email every week on a Tuesday, we do that for you. Um, just sign up. Uh, go to our website or go to our Facebook page. There's a place to put your name and your email address, and boom, every week we'll mail it out to you. Here at the BJJ Brick Podcast, we are trying to float this brick here, keep it uh, above the water, uh, so to speak. So we have an audiobook that's for sale. It's called Your First Year in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. It's about uh, two and a half hours uh, of, of me guiding you through things you will encounter during your first year and helping you get past some of those hurdles and uh, some of those milestones that will be uh, expected to uh, run into. Everything from finding the right gym for you to some basic techniques and positions you need to focus on all the way to tournaments. So uh, there's six chapters in this audiobook. If you enjoy the podcast, I'm sure you'll get a kick out of the audiobook and and uh, proceeds from that go to help to keep the podcast floating, keep this brick floating. So I appreciate uh, all the support we get from that. It really means a lot to us. And without Gary, this uh, podcast will be going at a record speed, so uh, that's okay, I guess. We've got uh, got things to get to anyway with the interview. But before we do that, we have the quote of the week. Um, it's from Winston Churchill. Uh, Success consists of going from failure to failure without loss of enthusiasm. And that's Winston Churchill thinking of, uh, t- speaking about having, you know, bumps in the road and, and having things not go your way and just stay on the course. And, uh, and that's, that's true success there. It, if somebody has an easy road and they don't have to overcome much, what are they really doing? What are they really, uh, succeeding, uh, you know, in doing? Um, most people are going to experience some, some bumps in the road, some setbacks and just to not lose your enthusiasm or if it does kind of wane a little bit, get it back, get back on track. And get to the next failure, and, and you'll have some uh, some bumps and, and some uh, bruises and some uh, little neck cranks here and there. But uh, you know, get past the the things that are setbacks, and you'll also have some uh, some peaks in the road. You know, you'll have uh, some accomplishments. You'll have a, the first time you tap out a blue belt or a purple belt or or something like that. You'll you'll do you'll win a match. You'll score a point in a tournament. You know, you'll last the entire match instead of. Uh, get tapped you know there, there's uh, little accomplishments you can make uh, along the way that that'll make you feel good that you're doing the right thing but you need to to not let the failures uh, derail this uh this train of jujitsu or anything that you're doing and just keep going and, and expect that there'll be another one don't be shocked by it handle it you know be humble about it and keep going so that was Winston Churchill. He knows a thing or two about success, and he knows a thing or two about struggles. So uh, success consists of going from failure to failure 
without loss of enthusiasm. And the music is telling me that I'm able to keep things moving right along here uh, without my good buddy Gary. Uh, I still need to do the article of the week. We have one from jujitsutimes.com. Having a good drill partner is crucial. And this is a nice short article here about, about how important your drilling partner is to your success and how important you are to the success of your drilling partner. So just keep in mind as you when you show up to class, you're not just there for yourself. You're there for at least the other person you're drilling with. And and, and you in reality you're there for the people you're rolling with and anybody who asks you a question or, or anybody who you encourage. It's all that's what a team is. That's that's what it's about. But uh, when you're drilling, let's say you're gonna drill arm bars. If you're the partner, okay, the guy's uh, drilling an armbar from the bottom, and you're on top, and you're just lazy about it, and you're just not really paying attention, and, and you're not doing, you're not really there mentally or physically. You're just, you're just your body's there, but but it's not engaged, and there's no muscle movement for you, and uh, and you go through that drill, and your partner does, you know, their reps. You switch, and then and then you turn it up, and you're you know trying to do a perfect armbar from armbar, and and trying to really get your drill in, and and, and really thinking about how much better your armbar is going to be, and your partner can either do one or two things, either not be there for you and, and provide a good partner or a good drill, or they could they could do uh, what you want them to do it, and and at least you know participate in their side of the drill. So it's just a good reminder that. Even when you're just basically a dummy, you know, your, your, your body's there and they're going to armbar your arms a, a few times. And be there mentally and, and, and work with your partner. And if they're doing something wrong, let them know. And hopefully, if you do something wrong, they'll give you that tip. And I think that it can work in a positive way, too. If you're, if you're enthusiastic about your, the drill and, and you're really wanting to get it, uh, pick up the pace on this and, and, and do it right and, and put energy in, in, into it, I think your partner will pick up on that. And just subconsciously, if you're happy to be there and excited and, and, and ready to be a good partner, most of the time that switch will get turned on to them, too, and they'll be a good partner for you. So um, that's one way you can maybe turn a kind of a uh, not-so-great joint partner to maybe a better one. Maybe just call them out on it, you know, say, hey, are you all right? Are you sleepy? And I show up to Jiu-Jitsu sleepy enough uh, plenty of times. But, you know, if somebody asks me if I'm sleepy, uh, I know that they've that they've seen something in me that is not typical for me to do, and uh, they're not getting the best me that they can. So I'll try to perk up and try to get with it there, and uh, and be a good partner for them. So just I mean, are are you doing okay or are you? What's going on? Uh, it could be a question, kind of just to, to take them out of that funk that they're in, and get them to be that joint partner that you want them to be, and that you are going to be. So it's a, it's a nice article. We'll put a link to it in the show notes. Uh, com. Having a good drill partner is crucial. So very simple concept. Very important, though. I'm not sure. I think I've covered all the bases. This is strange to do this without Gary. Um, you know, I play some sad music, and, and you know, it's uh, <laughs> tough times here at the BJJ Brick Podcast. You know, uh, without my good buddy Gary... Uh, with me on the phone or here in studio it's just not the same and and i know the listeners are are uh, wondering where he is and it's just a schedule mix up so uh hopefully we'll be back together next week i did not want to skip a week just because um you know the the better looking half of the show was unable to attend so uh you know i'll ugly through it and uh, we'll get you a great podcast and and this is important information coming at you anyway i'm joking around a little bit here but uh, really, uh, listen to this in, this information that Chris is bringing to you. Uh, learn about Mission 22. 
I recently just ordered a couple t-shirts for Gary and myself uh, to support the cause and uh, and to and to show show support to people who I who I haven't even met. You know, if they can see me with a shirt on, they could ask me about uh, Mission Twenty Two, and I'll be happy to share information with them. It's a very important uh, cause, and it's uh, it, it, learning about this is just part about being a good teammate. You know, you're going to be a gr- good drilling partner. Fantastic, you're going to uh, be a good uh, person and a good teammate off of the mat. That's part of where this is picking up. So uh, here, let's roll our interview with Chris. And before we do that, we have a little segment. Our uh, most interesting grappler is a special one here from our buddy Eli. So here we go. He is the most interesting grappler in the world. In his day job as an architect, he designed a building. The fire marshal gave him no hassles because it was designed with adequate hip escapes. When he butchers a cow, somehow it ends up all shin cuts and knee cuts. Greenpeace won't allow him to shrimp within a hundred miles of the coast because whales beach themselves. I don't always listen to podcasts, but when I do, I prefer the BJJ Brick podcast. Stay sweaty, my friends. All right, my friends, I'm happy to bring Chris Papandria to the BJJ Brick Podcast. Uh, Chris, how are you doing today? Good. How are you doing, Byron? Doing good. I'm happy to have you on. Uh, you've got a very important message to, that uh, uh, we're, we're definitely f- feel the, the need to get this out there to the audience. And y- you uh, are kind of here to talk about Mission 22. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself before we get into Mission 22? Sure. Um, I started martial arts when I was nine years old. Um, back in 1991, jiu-jitsu wasn't really as popular as it is today. This is pre-UFC 1, um, and I grew up uh, basically on the mat. I, I don't know anything other than doing martial arts. And I uh, actually started doing jiu-jitsu in 1991 um, under, guy, under two gentlemen, uh, one named Alex Wilkie and uh, the other named David Adiv. Who is a who is currently a fifth degree black belt under Hoyler Gracie? How'd you get started so early? And current, uh, I got started early because um, my parents moved us. Um, basically, we, we kind of lived out in the boonies, and it was about an hour drive from uh, our schools and stuff. And it was just easier for them to move us than it was to you know keep driving an hour every day in New Jersey traffic. So they moved us closer to town to where our schools were. And I was playing soccer as a kid, and I just didn't really think it was fun anymore. So my mom actually just opened up a phone book, and the first number she saw on the yellow pages, that's when she called. And I was with uh, Alex Wookie for about, oh, I was there till I was 25, and then I moved out here to Indiana. I was around during the the start of jiu-jitsu and the UFC and all that fun stuff. Cool. And and now where are you at? Where are you training? Uh, I actually own my own school here in Rochester, Indiana. Um, it's called Dynamic Jiu-Jitsu Academy. 
We are an affiliate under uh, Team Jason Fox, who is also a black belt under Hoyler Gracie. Um, and I've, uh, we're the only jiu-jitsu and judo school um, in our county. Uh, we're kind of in the middle of nowhere. It's, I like to say it's like Mayberry because we only have 11 stoplights in our town. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's... To bring jiu-jitsu into our town was, you know, something that was needed. So everybody can do it. But that's where we are now. And we uh, we have uh, four schools in our association, just in our area, probably within about an hour driving distance. Um, we have one in Warsaw, which is about 40 minutes away. And then I have an affiliate school under myself, um, about 30 minutes away from, my, from our school. And then we have another one in Fort Wayne which is about an hour, hour and a half. So we kind of put a lockdown on, on our area as part of Team Jason Fox. That sounds good, and it sounds like you've really helped spread jiu-jitsu in the area there. Tell us a little bit about uh, Mission 22 and your involvement with that. Well, Mission 22 um, is a veteran-run, mostly veteran-run company. Um, it's an organization that uh, raises, raises awareness for veteran suicide. Um, the, the reason why it's uh, called Mission 22 is, is that 22 veterans a day will commit suicide in America. And you know, the, the numbers are actually really staggering is that um, the, num- the total number of uh, deaths by veteran suicide in this past year alone was more than um, the war that we've had in Iraq. Um, in 2009, there were 193 deaths in Iraq and double that at home. So, you know, more people are dying here at home after they come back than they are actually in combat. Um, and I got started in it because, uh, I was actually cleaning out my closet one day and I found these, a box of support the troop bracelets and I didn't want to throw them out. So I brought them to my academy and I just put them out and I made a donation box and I put down a dollar, a bracelet. If you want to pay more, you pay more. And it was that one, you know, the box went to the wounded warrior project, which everybody understands and knows what's going on with that. Um, but I thought that, you know, we could probably do more. So a good friend of mine that uh, I'd grown up with, he was kind of an older brother figure to me. He had already, he was a couple of years older than me. Um, he was working in uh, Wall Street during the, uh, during the 9-11 attacks. And uh, post 9-11, he was part of that whole big influx of enlistees. And he just came to the school and said, I just joined the army. I'm going straight from boot camp to the Green Berets and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to serve. And I kept contact with him over the years because he would always send pictures of, of him wearing, you know, academy clothes, like the team shirts and stuff yeah. while he was out on deployment. And um, we, uh, we, st- we kept in contact and, um, after he left the military and retired, he opened his own company called Northern Red, which is a tactical um, shooting company, instructional company. And it's based out of South Carolina. 
and it's owned by a guy named J.D. Patinsky and Tom Spooner. And J.D. was the friend that I grew up with. And I just messaged, emailed him out of, the, out of the blue one day and asked him, you know, what exactly, what organizations are you guys working with um, with veterans? Because I, I see that you guys are dealing with uh, veterans on Facebook and in, in videos and whatnot. And he emailed me back and said, here's a guy's number. His name is Magnus Johnson. He's somebody I served with. Uh, he runs a company called Elderheart, Mission 22. And just give him a call and we'll put him in contact with you. And that's kind of where it started. It started with the fact that, you know, a, a guy that I looked at as a big brother, you know, could have been one of those casualties at home. But ha- because he had a support group like Magnus and Tom, you know, it was, that was the way the start of it happened for me. So I, I called Magnus and he and I had a probably about an hour, two hour conversation. And it was, he was explaining to me all the, you know, the reasoning behind doing it. And, um, I actually had no idea that it was a, a Indiana based company. It's down in, in Brown County. Um, it's called Nashville, Indiana actually. And, uh, they did a 22 foot sculpture. It's veteran built. It's called soaring, which is, uh, falling leaves. And it's 22 leaves for each, uh, veteran death a day. And, you know, we, uh, after I showed that video to my wife, Stacy, we both agreed that this is the, this is the organization that we need to be part of and we can all do something about just by, you know, wearing a shirt and somebody coming up to us saying, what's, what's mission 22. That's the biggest, that was our biggest thing. And, uh, recently put on a seminar in Indianapolis with, uh, two of our good friends, James and AJ Klingerman. And it was a amazing, amazing experience and total success. You guys do put on uh, seminars uh, periodically. How do those? How do those work? Um, well, you basically somebody uh, gets it in their head that they want to uh, host a seminar, and there's a couple people that really run the whole jujitsu aspect. Uh, one of them is named Alan Shabaro who is a, also a former Green Beret. Um, he runs a uh, school in McKinney, Texas. Uh, we were blessed to have him come up and, and teach at the seminar this past Saturday on, on uh, Saturday, September 12th. Um, and, uh, you know, he and uh, Pete Wilhelm, who is from, I believe, Oklahoma, and uh, various other instructors are kind of spread out over the country who are veterans that are part of it. And you basically, you can message one of them and they can say, all right, well, we'll put something together and they'll connect you with the other members of mission 22, the actual heads of it. Okay. And, um, they'll actually fly out pretty much on their own dime. Um, Alan flew out on his own dollar from Texas to Indianapolis uh, he stayed in a hotel and all on his own. He didn't ask any, you know, financial help. He didn't want us to pay him. You know, it's, it's not just, uh, a labor of love for them. It's, you know, it's getting the message, message out. Um, and really, if you wanted to do a seminar, the best thing to do is find guys, um, who are like-minded. If 
find people who know veterans that you know are doing jujitsu, or ask a veteran if if they were are interested in jujitsu. I mean, I per, I can pretty much guarantee that any jujitsu school you walk into in the United States will have a veteran as a student. So the the biggest thing was um, just say in your head, I want to do a seminar and just Google Mission 22. Email um, Magnus and Randy LeVere and they will start getting you set up and it really was, you know, uh, it was a stressful undertaking trying to get uh, instructors together but at the same time it was great to see the finished product. That, that's great that, that, that it came out so well and, and, and supports such a great organization. Um, you mentioned that basically every jiu-jitsu school in the country is going to have uh, some veterans in there. From uh, from a teammate's perspective, how could they maybe uh, help out another teammate? That you know, if they if I haven't served in, in the military and then I have a uh, have a friend, you know, because you know we're on the same team and, and you get to know each other, how could I uh, look out for or maybe? Uh, lend a hand to this person who I don't really, it's hard to relate sometimes to, to people that you don't share the, those experiences with. Right. Um, the, the one story that I was told and it really does, it, it, it kind of leads to this, you know, the jujitsu mentality is that, you know, each school is a little tribe. Um, back in, in the native American days, what would happen is the warriors would go off to battle and they would, you know, they would fight and then they would come back and the village would circle around them. And that's when they would heal, you know, spiritually, mentally, and physically. And the warriors would tell their stories so they could um, basically let it go. Um, the biggest thing for us as a jiu-jitsu community is if I have a student who is a veteran or um you know, probably has served in combat. The little things that you should look at are, you know, is he, does he uh, show up once in a while? You know, where is he going? What's he doing? Um, little telltale signs are, you know, if he, dis- if a student disappears for a little while or a teammate disappears for a little while, call him. Because if he is a veteran, that's what you really want to do is you need to keep in contact, you know, you think about it is that a lot of these guys are, if they are full-time military, they're part of this unit, a cohesive unit that train together every single day. And each person relies on the other to come out alive. And I don't want to say that each person is dependent on each other to come out alive in jujitsu, but for each one's progression in, in technique and study, you know, you need training partners. You can't just sit in your living room and do jujitsu by yourself through videotape. I mean, some, I guess some schools do that, but I won't get into that. But, uh, the biggest thing is that, you know, stay in contact with your, your teammates, you know, get them to kind of talk to you about their service. Um, you know, ask questions. Let them tell you their story. Uh, that's the biggest thing. But the biggest thing, the most important thing is, how can I help you? Don't say that. 
because most times they don't want to be helped. They don't want you to say, you know, do you need help? They don't want to hear that because they're used to doing it, you know, on their own or the, they're used to having guys that know exactly how they're feeling. Um, that's the one thing about the military is that you train together every day. Um, and you get to the point where you know what each other are thinking before you think it. Um, so that's the, the big thing as a teammate is you need to, you know, reach out to them and keep them active, keep them on the mat, keep them, keep tabs on them. I don't want to say stalk them, but just kind of, you know, throw them a text like every other day or whatever, keep them in, con- keep in contact with them. Cause some of these guys are going home after class and, um, they might be downing a fifth of Jack Daniels. I mean, we had a guy at the seminar who said, who had just come back from the de- deployment. He had no family whatsoever. The only people he had were his teammates, were his unit. And he didn't have anybody else anymore. And what he would do is he would just go home every night. He would just down a bottle of Jack and wake up and do it again. And it's, you know, when they're alone, that's when, that's when bad things start happening. Um, there are a lot of videos on the mission 22 website and you can go to it mission 22.com. And there's tons of videos and stories about guys who, um, commit suicide while their family's out playing in the yard. Um, or his wife went out shopping and she came home and, you know, he was in the garage hanging from the Raptors. Unfortunately, you know, there, there's so many heartbreaking stories like that. And it's when your teammates are alone is when they need you the most. Yeah. I like your example of, of, uh, calling somebody so if you're training you know you train four or five times a week you'll you'll bump into any given teammate you know once or twice during that week you know depending on how much you're there and how much they're there and and it's easy to say that it's you know my coach's responsibility to keep tabs on people and to think that my my coach is going to call and, and and usually like when i go to train i'll say i haven't seen uh you know joe for a long time How's, has joe been around and my coach will say yeah joe was in uh, two days ago or I, or I called him a little while ago. So, uh, you know, I'm fortunate that my coach t- tends to kind of keep tabs on everybody. But uh, there's a there's definitely a role for a teammate that and, – and most coaches don't aren't that good about keeping up with people who aren't aren't around. But there's a role for that teammate that could just like, I haven't seen you for a couple weeks. You know, I haven't seen you all week long. I usually see you every Monday and Tuesday. Um, are you hurt? What's – you know, are, are you, are you going to make it in on, on Friday night to train? And just kind of just give them that, hey – we're waiting for you. You know, we're, we're going to be on the mats. We're hoping you're going to show up that kind of that, that support in that way. And, and, and that we, uh, we need, we want to train with you and, and, uh, and, and what that could bring can bring to their life. Yeah, that's the, like when we were training, when I was training in Indianapolis at uh James and AJ Clareman school is my, I would kind of work my schedule around training and hanging out with our teammates. Um, every Wednesday, after morning class, we go to lunch and we pretty much had to get kicked out of the place we were at. <laughs> and it started being our normal thing where we would walk across the street and go to lunch and then come back and train. But, you know, it, 
it was just, it wasn't doing anything. We weren't doing anything. We were just sitting there having lunch and, and just talking, just, you know, being guys and talking to each other. And that might be something that like a small school like myself or, or even big schools, like, you know, you got the Gracie Baja schools that are huge. I mean, you got like 200 plus students maybe on, on a, on a student log and, you know, some people can get lost in the shuffle and, you know, that's when, that's when us as instructors or, or even just, you know, fellow students, that's when you really need to, you know, keep track of everybody. And as an instructor, yeah, I, I mean, being the fact that we are in a small town and I don't have like 50 different students, I message my guys and ask them like, Hey, where are you at? Are you going to come to school today? Are you come train? Even if you're not training, come to the school, be part of the team, just sit down in the chairs. As long as you're here and being part of the team, you know, that's the biggest thing is, is getting them involved in a team again, getting them involved in a unit. Um, because that's really what it, that's really what a jiu-jitsu team is. That's, you know, when jiu-jitsu first started, when I first started in 1991, it was school against school. It was, you know, the old West where <laughs> it was, you know, that gang mentality. And sometimes you need that, you know, not the whole, you know, dojo storming thing, but sometimes you need that tight knit crew of students to help each other. Another aspect of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu that I think a lot of other sports may be lacking is just the total uh, concentration that is required of the people that are doing it. You know, uh, while I'm on the mat, I can't think about anything else other than Jiu-Jitsu. And for a lot of times when I'm driving to Jiu-Jitsu or coming home, it's just in my head. It's it's kind of uh, all I'm concentrating about. I can't stress about other things. And I imagine that would be uh, that would help somebody who's suffering from PTSD to kind of break up their day a little bit and and to get some relief from anything anything that's bothering them. Uh, you know, kind of a, on a constant basis. Absolutely. Um, I kind of tell my students that to think all the time is that you know when you're having a rough day, you know, come to jiu-jitsu. Because for that hour, hour and a half, two hours that you're on the mat, you can't think of anything else but jujitsu. Because, you know, if your you know, mind is preoccupied with something else, you're, you have the possibility to get hurt. And, you know, God forbid anything happened to, to, to a student on the mat where they did get hurt because they weren't paying attention. You know, but really that is, you know, it's therapeutic. Um, we had at our last seminars that, you know, so the instructors were all veterans or had connections to veterans and each one kind of, <clears throat> excuse me, kind of told their story. And, uh, one of the instructors, uh, who's a, a very good friend of mine, his name is Rick Casillas, who runs Tennessee Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, uh, um, in Nashville. He was saying that, after his military career was over, he started training jiu-jitsu. He kind of did jiu-jitsu during his military career as well. And it helped him heal. It helped um, heal the wounds that he had, uh, both spiritually and physically, because, you know, it, it gives you something to work for again. It gives you a job. It gives you a mission. You know, your mission is to go out and make sure that you don't get your arm broken or get choked out tonight. Um, so that's the, that is the biggest thing is I, I always like to equate jujitsu as that, that 
uh, quote from Point Break it when Patrick Swayze said, surfing is that place where you find yourself and then you lose yourself. Well, so is jiu-jitsu. You can find yourself or lose yourself. In it. You find yourself because you work so hard and train so hard that you find out what kind of person you can actually be. And you lose yourself because you forget all about things that are going on in the outside world and you are just kind of in the zone. And that might sound kind of hippie-ish and, you know, some people it might, it might sound silly, but it really is. I mean, I don't, when I'm just rolling with my students, I'm not thinking about anything else other than, you know, where's my weight going? Where's his weight going? You know, how hard is he gripping my collar? What do I do next? You know, it's that, you know, that's the most beautiful thing about jiu-jitsu is that, you know, it really is, it is a spiritual thing. And that's something that really can help people with PTSD because they don't have to think about what they've dealt with before. And I do have students that do have PTSD and it's taken a while to help them work through it, through the through jujitsu. Um, the biggest thing is that, um, my one student, Mike, he has PTSD, um, and claustrophobia, which when you do jujitsu is kind of hard to deal with. Um, because you're pinned, you have somebody on top of you. You don't, you can't really create space all the time because when you're a guy on top, you don't want space. You want, you know, you want, you want that crushing pressure but on the guy, for the guy on the bottom. That's, it's not, a, it's not a happy feeling. So after nine months, Mike has become our success story. Um, he recently had to have a, uh, a test done at a hospital, a CT test. And normally they'd have to sedate him. And this past time, they didn't have to sedate him because he remembered his jiu-jitsu training, he remembered to breathe. He kind of, you know, I call it working through progressions, you know, you know, thinking, okay, I'm out in the middle of the ocean, there's nobody here, it's just me. I'm safe, I'm fine. I can breathe, I can move around, I can get my arms away from my body, I'm all right. And he said that that was the first time in a long time that he hasn't had, he didn't have panic attack because of his claustrophobia. So, you know, jujitsu does heal people. Well, that's a, a great example of how somebody's able to, you know, get healed by jujitsu. And I think another thing that it does, any, any fitness or exercise you're going to do is going to help reduce your. Uh, stress hormones. I mean, that's there's there's tons of studies on this. It makes you just a healthier person, and uh, you know a lot of these are are you know aggravating the symptoms and and signs of uh, PTSD. So, what if you don't like jujitsu? Do some kind of exercise. But if you the benefit of jujitsu is if you if you if you like it, <laughs> it's, and if it's, it's fun for you, it's a great way to exercise too. So uh, you get all oh, the other benefits, and then you know like for me. Exercise is just a little bit of a bonus. I'm not doing it for exercise. I'm doing it because it's it's an enjoyable activity, and uh, and, and because of exercise, uh, those stress levels uh, just go down. Uh, it's a natural effect. When I come home from the school, I'm like stress free. I I'm pretty much for the most part, you know, a happy guy because I've after training hard, I really don't have. You know, I, I, I don't have the energy to be stressed. You know, I, I come home and 
I see my three-year-old and I see my wife and I just concentrate on them. And, you know, that's the, the jiu-jitsu is, it really is such a great art and, um, it really is for everybody because it's, it is a workout, but also it's for self-defense and, you know, it gets you that camaraderie and, you know, it's, it really has helped a lot of people and I wish more people would do it to be perfectly honest with you. As as do I. That's easy. <laughs> Everybody at least needs to try it a couple of days and, and time to see if it's for them. And and uh, I think it'd be uh, beneficial to so many people if they tried it. Um, and, and another thing, it's just a it's a positive hobby. I mean, it, it, if you don't want to do it real seriously, it's something that you could look forward to during the day, and you can go train. And it just kind of it, it takes you out of the like a negative uh, uh, like a loop of, of of negativity. It's you're gonna go there, and you're gonna, you know, people. I always describe my uh, when I go to 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 class. You know, it's chokes and jokes. You know, people are having a good time, and we're choking each other, and people are laughing at, at this and that. It's just, uh, it's a positive experience in in almost all the jujitsu gyms I've ever been to. Yeah, I mean, I I don't think I've been to one jujitsu <laughs> school that has that everybody has just got this scowl all on their face <laughs> the whole time, and they're so serious you know it's it's not like that everybody's you know everybody's smiling everybody's joking with each other you know that's the that's what's fun about it yeah i think uh you know soldiers have a lot of stress coming back home they've got uh you know what happened overseas or or where they were they've got money it seems like it's always an issue and and of course it's not easy on families to have uh, somebody missing from the family for so long and and, and, and just all this stuff, and, it, and it's, you're trying to uh, readjust to your life at home. And, and, I, and having a, a group of people that you train with is a, is a good good way to just kind of build a, a foundation outside the house a little bit of of support that uh, that you could rely on. So, you know, I, I think you would be in the same boat. You know, it's if you are are hearing this and, and you are uh, suffering from uh, PTSD, uh, definitely consider jujitsu as an option to just to just to change things up a little bit, you know, maybe you'll fall in love with it and you'll train, uh, for, you know, till you get old. Um, and then even that past that obviously is, is better, but, um, it's just, it's just, uh, how would you sell Jiu-Jitsu to somebody who's, who's hearing this and, and could benefit from it, but, but they've never, they've never tried it and they don't know anybody who does Jiu-Jitsu in this town that they're in. How would you convince them that it's worth checking out? Um, well, if they have served, you know, 90% of the, the, veterans that have served like that are my age at least I'm, I'm 32, 33. Um, they have done a form of combatives in the military. It's required. And that's, they're basically doing jujitsu. That is what the combatives are now in the air force, the army, Marines, everything. And so, you know, one of my students, uh, who's, who's actually my first blue belt that I promoted, he uh, he joined because he just walked down the street and saw, hey, jiu-jitsu. That's kind of like the combative stuff I did, I think. And he just walked in the door one day, and um, he saw what we were doing, and he goes, well, this is exactly like the combative stuff I did. But we only did that for a week. But it was really fun when we did it. you know. So sometimes selling it to, to guys who are kind of on the fence about it is, well, I'll ask them, it's like, well, did you do combatives in the military? And they'll say, yeah. 
Well, just think how much fun that was. You only did that for a week. You can do this forever. You know, and you will be stress-free and you'll have more, you'll make new friends. You'll get a good workout out of it because that's a big thing. You know, I don't get, I don't lift weights anymore. I just do jujitsu with guys. So, you know, you're spending God knows amount of money over at a gym lifting weights. Well, how much, how about you spend like half of that and do jujitsu instead? And it, and it's better for you than lifting weights because really lifting weights is bad. You know, the bodybuilders would say, oh no, lifting weights is good for you. No, they're lying. It's bad for you. Anytime you put like 300 pounds over your head, that's bad. <laughs> but jujitsu is, uh, is natural. You know, it's a natural thing and it's, you know, it's good to stretch your body out. You still build muscle with it and, you know, you're getting a good cardio workout out of it too. Um, I tell my students is that you know jujitsu when you're born. You just forget it over the years. Uh, my three-year-old daughter, was, I would just watch her when she would stand up as a baby, and she would do perfect stands with standing with face, perfect every time. And you know, those are and squatting. That's the other thing. You know, you watch a baby squat; they have perfect form every time. We as humans, when we get older, we screw it up because we keep putting weight on ourselves and thinking, oh, well, this is, or trying to bend over and unnaturally. So jujitsu is a natural aspect of life that you already know. It's just, you forget about it through the years because you're doing other things. Yeah. I, that's, and my daughter, and my daughter has one wicked arm bar. <laughs> so Ronda Rousey, look out. She's on her way, huh? She is. She she runs around the school all the time, so she sees jujitsu every day. She's no she's been around jujitsu since the day she was born. How old is she? Three. Three. It, it, all right. Of course. It now now of course they could, this could backfire on me. <laughs> She'll never want to do jujitsu at all. I can't see that happening. But as we talk about uh, you know the stress relief and these things going on, you know it's so easy to to go to. Uh, go to class and, and think, okay, uh, Joe's working on a half guard sweep. I want to help him with that a little bit. And you got, uh, you know, uh, Nick over here has, has, has been working on his takedowns a lot. You know, we're going to work, drill some of those. And, 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 and just to kind of, you kind of learn what people uh, want to work on and what they're doing. But there's way more going on a lot of times with people than just those techniques. I mean, uh, you know, if you could just follow some people home sometimes, you would see how they're living. And, and you mentioned it a little bit into that before and, and what's going on in their in their home lives. Sometimes when, you, when when I'm heading home, it's like, well, I, that was that was fun. We just kind of rolled around with a bunch of sweaty people, and and it it was a good time. But but somebody got way more out of that than than just rolling around with sweaty uh, people on the mat. There, somebody uh, could have been in a in a kind of a dark place and and got taken out of that for a few hours or a few days. And uh, I think that's important as a teammate. That's important to remember that you're not just there just learning jujitsu. There's a lot more going on. Uh, that you may be unaware of, and it's important to stay uh, positive with your teammates and and really be there for them when uh, when you're training and then when you're when you're not on the mat as well. Yeah, and, and that's what I will say that about my my students is, and this is what I love about them is that pretty much every one of them is friends outside of the school, and I think the main part of it is that you know we are a small small academy and 
we are a small town too. So everybody pretty much knows each other. But at the same time, you know, I have an affiliate school that's 30 minutes away from us and they still talk to their teammates in the affiliate school. You know, I see guys driving 30 minutes sometimes during the week when they're not training with me, they're going over to our, uh, my other school. And, you know, that teammate aspect is really a huge thing in jiu-jitsu. Um, and a good, uh, another way to think about it is, is that I, my full, my day job is I, I'm a personal banker. Okay. And maybe I'm also say I'm in the army reserves. Well, my unit gets called up and I get deployed. I'm not, in, and I don't do jujitsu. I don't go shooting. I've never done anything like that until I joined the military. I go, I get deployed. I drive a truck. Okay. That's my job. And then I see all these horrible things happening and, you know, IEDs are blowing up or my friends are dying in front of me. And then I have to come back and, you know, I'm expected to go right back into my life. Um, you know, like, oh, Johnny has to go to soccer practice today. And, you know, oh, by the way, you have to coach his team. And, hey, can you go get a gallon of milk or this or that? And, you know, certain things might trigger that PTSD um, during your just normal day. Uh, I, I like to say that um, the movie American Sniper did a great job of showing what uh, post-deployment life is like for soldiers. Um, you see Bradley Cooper just kind of sitting there in the, in the living room staring at a blank TV and his kids are just running around him and he's just sitting there. And But everybody sees him sitting there but in his mind, he's hearing bullets flying past his head. He's hearing people screaming. He's hearing all these horrible, gut-wrenching things. You know, but by getting somebody on the mat and getting them working and training, you can prevent those things from happening. You can prevent his the minds from wandering. Because really, the mind can only wander so much when you're in jiu-jitsu. You can only think about you know, drilling the technique 10,000 times and perfecting the technique so you can do it perfect 10,000 times. I'm a big, big believer in the 10,000 hours rule of Curdo Sander. And, you know, it's to drill, 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 drill until it's automatic. And if you're not paying attention to what you're doing, drilling it, you know, your technique's going to be flawed. And by getting your friend that's on the mat, getting me that's on the that drives it, drove a truck in the army and saw horrible things on the mat. I don't think about those things anymore. I'm thinking about jujitsu. You know, I'm becoming obsessed with jujitsu and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah, definitely. Definitely a good thing to switch it with. And you know, when the soldiers come back home, they have things to do typically, you know, if they have some job they're trying to do or something that, their spouse wants them to do, but like, if you're if you're not healthy uh, mentally, that's that's part of your job is to figure out, uh, you know, how how to get yourself back together, and or to get help getting yourself back together, um, and so, and so like you can't just put that aside and think, well, it's you know I, I have I have to bring in this income for my family. You being healthy and there for your family in the long run is is <laughs> crucially important to uh how your family is doing 
So, you know, taking the time out to invest in yourself and to, and to either get some help professionally or you try a jiu-jitsu class or, 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 or whatever you think might help, that's, that's well worth it. That's not 22 people a day <laughs> we're losing uh, to this, and it's just and that's just, just the And that's just the basic number. That's the one that those are 22 a day is the number that's being reported. That's not, you know, that might not be the actual number. There could be more people than that that we don't know about. And that's, again, you know, when you hear that number, 22 a day, how many, how many, do you meet 22 people a day? No. You know, think about that. How many, how many people do you maybe you run into a day? And it's, that's staggering. It really is. It's, it's a frightening number that we can all do something about, you know, and even just, you know, going to a VFW or American Legion or whatever in your area. Um, sometimes those two organizations kind of give you a little bit of pushback because they are older gentlemen and they think, well, well, did you serve? And I'll plan out saying no, because I never did serve. I, I kind of went the route of doing martial arts and that's all I wanted to do. I wanted to be a, a, a martial art bum and do judo and jiu-jitsu and, and fight. I didn't think about doing being in the military until I thought, well, can't do judo and jiu-jitsu anymore because I hurt my back. Well, let's try and do the military. Then the military doesn't take you. So now what do you do? Go back to jiu-jitsu. So for me, as not being a veteran, I when I try and talk about two veterans that are of the older generation, they give me a little bit of that pushback. Um, that is one thing that that's unfortunate. Like, well, you didn't serve, so you don't know type of thing. And sometimes, you know, I will say, you're right. I didn't serve. I don't know what you guys went through, but I'm here to help you work through it. And just, you know, come to the school or let me buy you, let me buy you a beer. Let me buy you a lunch, something, you know, something just to get them to have a conversation with you. Um, and as far as like, yeah, that when they come home, they're expected to come back to their life. Um, I remember Tim Kennedy saying that uh, when uh, soldiers come back now, it, it's the military has done a better job of, uh, I guess what they call it, decompressing their, the guys that are coming back. If they actually give them a week on base to decompress before they actually let them enter into society again. It's not, it's not like prison, but you know, you're, you are coming back to your family. That's pretty much run themselves by, by themselves for the past year or so. And it's kind of a readjustment period for both of you. Um, but that is one thing that, you know, I will say that the military is starting to catch up on is they are, that program is in place to help, ease you back into society. But at the same time, it's what happens after you're back into society. When you are alone is when uh, the unfortunate number comes up. You, you have, you're a gym owner, and you uh, obviously support the, the veterans that are coming home and, and uh, coming into your gym. Uh, how, could, how could somebody else who has their own uh, gym there support the veterans that, that come through and are interested in, in training? Um, I think the biggest thing is that you, 
for me, I'm a, I, I kind of, I'm a bad example because I'm, I'm really not in it for the money. You know, I don't, <clears throat> you know, I don't charge tons of dollars to jujitsu and I'm getting an eye roll for my wife because we should, because as a businessman, <laughs> I'm definitely a failure, but as an instructor that wants to help people and help students, that's where I think that I'm stronger in. Um, and if you're a veteran, you don't get charged at my school. You know, you have, you have a free time, lifetime membership there. And if, you know, you, you need something, we'll, we'll pretty much kind of band together and help you get it. Um, but for other schools, I'm not saying that, you know, veterans should be free because that's, you know, I have a day job that allows me to teach at night. You know, some schools, that's your whole job. You know, that is your everyday job. You're there from nine o'clock in the morning till 10 o'clock at night. Um, you know, that's your livelihood. So I can't say, you know, why, why are you charging this better and, and whatnot? I think the biggest thing is to just kind of say, you know, you served in the military. Okay. Well, we'll, you know, we'll discount your, your, your prices or, you know, give them a gee for free. Cause I guarantee you the guys that are coming back probably don't have enough money to train jujitsu. So give them something to train in, you know, say, Oh, you did the, you were in the military. Well, here's a gee, you know, we'll let you, you know, say it. This is a compliment of the school and then introduce them to the students. You know, don't, sit there and let them kind of sit at the end of the line in, in, in the classroom by themselves, you know, introduce them first, you know, beginning of class, say, say, this is, this is Byron, our new student. You know, he recently came back from serving in the military. You know, let's welcome them into the school. I think that's the biggest thing, is, you know, introducing the student yeah. to other students because, because, I mean, you just kind of, you know, in those big schools, you kind of get lost in the fold. And by, you know, bringing it out saying, you know, you know, he was a veteran. He just came back. You know, let's, let's welcome him with open arms. That's the type of, that's the type of mentality you really, as a school owner, need to have. I mean, for me, at the beginning of class and at the end of class, I say, if you don't know your, the person that you trained with today, make sure you introduce yourself. You know, if you don't know this new student, introduce yourself. Um, I make it a point to bring the new student in front of class and say, this is Jim. You know, it's his new first day. Make sure everybody introduces yourself to him and, you know, help him, help him out where he needs help. And a big part of that is that the upper belts, <clears throat> excuse me, the upper belt, that is your job to watch you know, I don't want to say it's like your job, but you really should be watching out for the guys who are, you know, coming in that are new because, you know, starting a new jiu-jitsu school, it's kind of scary because you have all these people that are training together for maybe like five, 10, 15 years or less, you know, you don't know how long they train together and you know, your instructor might want some, might do things a specific way, like our school. Um, we have an orange line on the floor that says, do not pass this line with your shoes. I can't tell you how many times new people walk past that line with their shoes on and it drives me up the wall. And 
that's when you know, my senior students say, hey, you know, don't go past that line. Take your shoes off and put them in the cubby. You know, and, and each, each instructor is different. You know, everybody has their little, I, I guess, want to say quirks that you know they want something done a specific way. So I don't interrupt the instructor while they're talking. So it is a team, team job to get a new student into, you know, in, indoctrinated into the school, and especially if he's a veteran. Because yeah. once he's in, introduced to everybody and he starts, you know, kind of relaxing around people, and you see them start to open up. It, it the what their eyes look like change. You, you can see when they first come in, they just kind of have this stone look in their face, like no, no emotion in their eyes. And then after a little while, you see that they start, there's life back in them again. And, you know, it's, it is a team job to help each other. And you know, the instructors, it's job to watch over everybody. But sometimes the upper belts can just kind of put a guy under their wing. Um, I did that when I was a blue belt. I had a, a, a good friend of mine, Max. His name was Max. He was a white belt, and he was a two-strike white belt at the time. And I kind of took him under my wing just because he needed a little bit more help with stuff. And he went from being a two-strike white belt to a blue belt within, I think it was three months. And then he won a blue belt tournament immediately after he got blue belt. <laughs> and all it, took was, all it took was one person to, you know, pull them aside and say, here, let me show you this. Let me help you out with this. You know, it, and it wasn't anything I was doing that was, like, spectacular. I wrote down a game plan for him. I said, well, this works for me. Let's see if it works for you. And if it doesn't, we'll get rid of it. We'll do something else. And, you know, just having an upper belt help a lower belt is something that really does, you know, sometimes it means the world to a new student. Yeah. I've I've heard a lot of stories of students that have tried different schools and and occasionally a student will say I tried a school and uh, you know nobody even with the color belt even talked to me that day you know and it, and that's that's really not a, a way to to earn the business of a new student regardless of of who they are and then I really like how you're saying is is take you know if you if you're in the position to take someone under your wing uh, go for it you know uh, it can make a world of difference in their first few months of training. And it, what drives me crazy is when we have a, a brand new student, first or second day, and it's time to pair up a new technique, and they're standing there by themselves while all these friends pair up with each other. They already know. Uh, this is the point in time when uh, it's probably best if they're not the last one to get picked for for a partner. You know, sometimes the instructor will say, "Hey, work with this guy." You know, and and they already have somebody who's who's friendly and 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 who's who's just outgoing, and they're gonna bring them into the team already in mind but if if that person is standing there and people are pairing up and they're looking like you know it's hard to grab somebody if you don't know what you're doing and hey be my partner yeah. you do you be that person you yeah. partner up with them and it's not necessarily to me about belts it's, it's more it, it is it's good to have that that knowledge that comes with a colored belt but a lot of times it's just personality you know if somebody's real outgoing and they're a, a, a white belt or a blue belt versus a, a grumpy person who's a brown belt or black belt Probably the outgoing person who's friendly is going to be a good match for that person today, and that's just yeah, that's just good business, um, I think. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've I've been blessed with the ability to be able to train at many different schools over the years, and you know, sometimes I think that that was it hindered me because I 
I did move around and I didn't get to stay in one place and earn rank at that one school the whole time. But, you know, it, it just like you said, I mean, having one guy, having that really outgoing, really happy-go-lucky person just say, okay, go put, I'll go, I'll go with you today. You know, are you new? Okay, come on, come with me. We'll, we'll go together. Um, what I usually do is if there's a new student, I, you know, I try to talk to them a little bit before class starts and kind of get their backstory a little bit. And then I'll grab one of my guys that are, that's been there for a little bit or that I know has, you know, might have been in the same footsteps as they had, the new student was. And I'll say, well, why don't you go with him today? You know, or I'll say, well, this person um, has a handicap on this side. You know, I want you to go with him because, you know, I know you won't grind him into the mat and try to hurt him. You know, it's those little those little things. Like my oldest student at my school is 64 years old. And pretty much every time there's a new student that comes in that might be a female, he will take it upon himself to go partner with them. Not because it's a female and he's 65 and, you know, whatever. It's because he's just this happy-go-lucky guy. He's this big teddy bear that everybody loves. And he wants to bring them into the fold. You know, he wants to make the day there as pleasant as possible. Now, if I put him with, you know, one of my other, one of my blue belts who's getting ready for, say, Nogi Pans, who's got this killer mentality in, that's not a good idea. Sometimes finding somebody who is a white, a fellow white belt, but who is, you know, that cheerier type of person, that welcoming person is, is a good thing. Yeah, and I also think it's it's kind of fun for a student to see a white belt who's maybe got a year, you know, on the mat, and like, just I remember my mind being blown. This guy's a white belt, you know, and look how good he is, and look at all that he knows, and and he's wearing a white belt, you know. That's how how deep these belts could go sometimes is really amazing, and to get, you know, the right white belt's not going to ever beat him up that bad, but it is pretty impressive to see what a white belt can do to a, a somebody who's new. And uh, just kind of eye-opening, I think, for for a new student to kind of it's either either motivating or uh, makes you not want to come back ever again. But uh, I think usually it's it's kind of a fun thing to really wow, this works, and this guy's doing it, and he hasn't been here that long. That's kind of fun. We've talked. Oh, absolutely. Go ahead. Absolutely. Um, I remember as a kid uh, growing up in in the academy with these guys. You know, we didn't have a black belt back then. Having a black belt was like unforeseen, you know, blue belts back in the 90s were God or purple belts. If there was a purple belt on the mat, it was amazing. So everybody was white belts. And I remember people coming in and doing challenge matches and saying, well, what's this jujitsu stuff? And, you know, the blue belt instructor that we had, he wouldn't go against them. He'd be like, okay, uh, you, you didn't have a challenge match recently, did you? No. Okay, come on over. And everybody would be white belts. And that's kind of how I am at my school is that, you know, I don't want to say I make my guys sandbag, but I make them wait at those belts because I want have, I want them to be really good white belts. I want them to be amazing blue belts. And when new students come in and they go, how good are you? You're only a white belt? You know, or having blue belts that come and visit us and they roll with my white belts and they say, you know, why, what, what are you guys doing? Because your white belts just smashed me. 
you know, what, you know, having that, you know, that, that old school mentality of, you know, you're going to be at that belt for a while, so you're going to be getting good at it. You know, that sometimes that's, that's a good thing. Yeah. It's just, uh, everybody's got a unique experience in jiu-jitsu and, and I know that's part of, part of mine, the experience in that early on and I enjoyed it and, and, uh, I think other people do as well sometimes. Um, how could somebody get more involved with Mission 22, uh, you know, after they've heard all this and if they want to help out or, or just learn more about it? Um, well, you can go to mission22.com. That's the first one. You can also find them on Instagram um, and Facebook as well. Uh, it's, it's all under Mission 22. Um, the other company you can look up is Elderheart. Um, it's two words. Uh, and, you know, they're doing a lot of things with... Uh, basically, what they do is they have a company that makes art. That's the biggest thing. They make industrial art. Like they make these beautiful tomahawks that are out of, you know, cast iron blades and they're just, they're antique and they're, you know, they're amazing. But the other things you can do is, you know, just, uh, there's so many organizations out there right now with helping veterans. Um, there's almost too many to list. If you just want to stay with Mission 22, um, they do have basically a jiu-jitsu uh, division to it, and that's run by uh, Alan Shabaro, who's third-degree black belt in jiu-jitsu and lives in Texas. Um, Alan is in a very is a very imposing figure, to say the least. He is he looks like he should have he missed his calling and should have been a linebacker <laughs> for for the Dallas Texans. But, you know, he really did talk about uh, everything. You know, I had uh, car drivers from, to and from the airport with him where we talked about it. And he said that, you know, just the the outpouring of support from the jiu-jitsu community, and not just the jiu-jitsu community. If you, if you, even if you don't do jiu-jitsu at all and you're listening to the podcast or you're doing, or you know somebody that's doing, that should do jiu-jitsu or, you want to get involved in Mission 22, it's, it's really easy to find. Uh, some, there is somebody around, and the biggest thing is that it's a huge community. Um, they kind of like to say it's the Mission 22 Army because we are battling, you know, battling veteran suicide. Um, and you can just kind of basically Google it. You know, it's, it's everywhere. Articles are on it are, are everywhere. Um, the biggest thing is just to, you know, is, is to donate, you know, yeah, raising money is great. You know, having conversations with veterans are better, but, you know, sometimes we do need that financial push to help, uh, raise funds to help raise awareness for things. Um, you know, even if you just, the biggest thing is buy a t-shirt or put a sticker on your car. That is the biggest thing I can tell people. Um, my wife and I, we wore Mission 22 shirts today and we walked into a vet, uh, a serviceman when we were going to lunch and we said that we did a Mission 22 seminar recently. And having that conversation started just by wearing a t-shirt, um, having a patch on your gi, because they do have gi patches on their website, um, put the patch on the gi. So when you're, if, 
if you're at a tournament and say, somebody says, what's mission 22, you can tell them. You can say, you know, it's 22 veterans a day are committing suicide, and jiu-jitsu really helps them. You know, it's, it's educate yourself. And there's a lot of material out there to educate yourself with this epidemic. Um, so many different websites, so many different places to find material. But Mission 22 is, is, it really, really is the best thing that happened to me personally because it, it gave me, uh, something to do other than jujitsu. Um, and, and going home and working. It really is, uh, it is a passion now for my family as well. And you can just find it online. It's mission22.com or elderheart.org. And, or YouTube it. There's a bunch of different videos on there. Um, I know that uh, the Raider Project, which is for uh, Marine Corps uh, Force Recon Raiders, veterans they're also raising money um but yeah there's there's tons of different tons of different websites and things you can look at but mission22.com go over there educate yourself buy a shirt you know they post newsletters join the newsletter that's that's a big thing yeah those are uh, great resources and knowing about this is not just uh, for the people who have served this is part of being a good teammate, you know? Uh, so if you consider yourself a good teammate or you want to become a good teammate, uh, you know, taking the time to learn a little bit about, uh, PTSD and, and the stresses that, uh, soldiers coming home are facing is, is part of being a good teammate. So, uh, take the time and, and learn about it, you know, support the organization, get a t-shirt, uh, get a geek patch. Uh, and so you show your support that way. And, uh, it, it, it will, it will, uh, uh, benefit your team. It'll make your team stronger and, and help the people you train with. And it'll also help you. I imagine yeah. it's, it's, it's a good way to, to feel like you're, you're doing good for people. Yeah. They, the one, the one quote I remember, um, when researching all the mission 22 stuff was that it's not a veteran problem. It's a country problem. It's a community problem. And, you know, it, yes, it will make you feel good because you did something nice and you donated, you know, but, at the same time, you know, you are helping somebody. You're, you know, you're potentially helping that faceless person that you may never meet by donating money or by getting the message out there. Because maybe by wearing that shirt, a friend of a friend of a friend might, might be the person you talk to. And, and that, you know, that telephone line of, of people talking to you might have actually helped somebody. So, yeah, that is the big thing that, really is just giving that you know showing your 22 that's the that's the phrase that we use is you know take a picture of a 22 just the numbers 22 and hashtag it put it on Facebook have somebody ask you what it is and if somebody actually clicks on the hashtag you see all these different things you see all these different stories of people you know everybody has a separate number um, even just taking chalk on, on a sidewalk and writing a 22 and Facebooking it or putting it on Twitter. You know, those, it's getting that message out there. Yeah, those are, those are great ways to, to, to get the word out. And you guys are, uh, there's a seminar coming up, is that correct? 
There is. Uh, there's one in November, on November 7th, in Tennessee. An uh, uh, instructor named Billy Mayfield, he is hosting it down there. Um, I believe Hinata Tavares is going to be one of the instructors. Uh, Ray Casillas is also going to be. Uh, don't quote me on it, because I don't. It, sometimes it changes on, on who the instructors are going to be. I know for ours, I actually had to turn people down because I couldn't, you know, I couldn't have 50 different instructors for, for a four-hour seminar. Um, so the, the instructors will always be, you know, you'll have all these different new instructors coming out. Kurt Osiander has helped immensely with Mission 22, and I know that they're trying to get Kurt to go out to this next seminar. Well, cool. That'll be uh, a good time. And the ones that you've got locked in, I, you know, uh, Hanato is so fun to train with. And and uh, he, he gave me my brown belt. And, and if you get an opportunity to train with Hanato, uh, go train with Hanato Tavares. So, uh, and, and, yeah. and the other names you have there are great, too, but I haven't met them. But uh, that definitely a, a good opportunity to support a great cause, do jiu-jitsu, and meet some good people there on November 7th. And you can look that up on Facebook um, if you just, you know, search Billy Mayfield and, and friend request him. He has uh, Mission 22 logo as his profile picture. And I know that they can, you know, give you uh, directions to the school and more info for the, the seminar. Um, I believe the start time is at 12 o'clock. They usually run for about four hours. Um, each instructor gets about an hour or hour and a half teaching time. Um, but yeah, it, it, the number of instructors that <clears throat> that you get, the, just the outreach of, of them wanting to help definitely is, is amazing. And, you know, I wish that, uh, I don't know if I'll be able to go to it personally, but if you're going to, if you really are into jiu-jitsu and you have this in your area, go do it. Because not only are you going to be able to learn some amazing jujitsu and hang out with some some cool people, but you also meet the people from Mission Twenty Two, and they are some of the nicest, most uh, caring people you'll ever meet. Um, and you know, I had a half hour conversation with one of them. Our our seminar actually started a half hour late because you know Alan, who's Mission 22 Jiu-Jitsu head, he was talking to one of the other instructors who actually competed against each other. So that's what the other thing is that you may get two guys that have competed against each other that are both veterans that both share the same passion about this in the same room for the same seminar. And it really is, you know, you get to talk to these people and share your stories with them. You know, if you have an opportunity to do it, really, you know, if you have to travel, travel. Go do it. I mean, we had guys travel from Florida, from Texas, from St. Louis, about four hours away, just to come do the seminar. You know, the the, the outpouring of support for this cause in the jiu-jitsu community alone is amazing. And anybody that can do it that wants to host a seminar, um, basically just find Randy Beer on Facebook, or you can... Message Alan Shabaro. Uh, he's a little bit hard to get a hold of because he's training Master Worlds, but just message him, and you know you 
he'll help you, he'll help connect you with people to help host a seminar. Um, you know, anybody can do it, really. It really didn't take me that long to get a group of guys saying, okay, we'll do it. You know, I literally posted on Facebook and not five minutes later, I had 50 comments on that post saying, we'll do it. I'm in, you know, what do I have to do to help? It's the jujitsu community is that it's a community where everybody wants to help each other. Cause you know, it's not like the old days where it's that, you know, gang mentality where nobody wants to train with each other of other schools. Everybody wants to train with everybody. Everybody wants to learn. You know, and this is another great way to do it. Yeah. And you make great friends from it. Yeah. There's so many uh, reasons to go to this seminar and any other one that is supporting Mission 22. Uh, definitely uh, go by the Facebook page, like them, keep up with them, and, and that way you'll see what's coming uh, your way. And if you're anywhere near the area, uh, try to get out there the best you can and, and, and you know, benefit your, from learning Jutsu and, and benefit from meeting new people and, and, uh, and be part of the group. You know, it's uh, part of that team. So, Chris, I really appreciate you coming on here today and, and talking Jujitsu, talking Mission Twenty Two, and uh, and it seems like a, a lot of other topics we covered. But uh, it's it's uh, great to get out awareness about um, about what's going on in this country. And I had uh, you know I had no idea that the twenty two uh, veterans uh, are lost every you know every day um, in the country here. So uh, you know, really thank you for for getting the word out about that. Anytime, Byron. All right. Well, uh, we'll keep up with you, and I'll I'll put all links to everything on the on the website there for people to find. And thanks a lot. Thanks for having me on. I want to give a big thank you for Chris for jumping on here, uh, sharing uh, the information that he did, and uh, really uh, hope you guys got uh, great information out of this. And and it's a great way to to help out the the jujitsu community, help out our soldiers that are coming home, and uh, just be a better teammate overall. If you want to connect with us, there's a few ways to do this. We've got Facebook, Twitter, a YouTube channel. We got all sorts of things. Facebook's probably the the thing that Gary and I do uh, most often. So if you want to send us a message, uh, Facebook message is a great way to do it. There on our fan page, uh, we both get to see those, and we usually respond well within the day. Um, also, if you want to e- send us an email, be our guest. We love to read which, what's going on with you guys. If you have a question or a comment or or you had a little trouble on the mat. Send us an email, bjjbrick at gmail.com, and I will be happy uh, to to check out your email and, and correspond with you, and that's always a good time. If you want a BJJ Brick Gi Patch, uh, we are just giving them away. Uh, the only thing uh, is you have to live in the United States because we just throw them in the mail and, and send put a stamp on it and send it that way. But uh, we do ask that you uh, write a review for the podcast on iTunes or on Stitcher Radio. Uh, just uh, hopefully we've earned five stars. If you can make the review funny, uh, go for it. If you've got to take a few jabs at me or Gary, that's great time. Especially Gary, you know, uh, he takes it very well. Sometimes I cry about him, uh, but uh, that's a whole different show and a whole different topic. But make it funny if you can. Write us a review. Uh, then shoot us that email at bjjbrick at gmail.com and let us know that you wrote the review. And we'll get back with you. We'll get your address and we'll get your gee patch in the mail uh, as quick as we can. We got a review in uh, a little bit ago. Uh, five stars from a gentleman in Australia whose name I cannot pronounce because I don't think it's a real name. It's a, it looks like a collection of letters, but it says Byron and Gary have an easy, friendly style that belies the quality of their guests and subject matter. Like a real sneaky gee choke, you don't realize what's going on until you're drowning in good technique. 
Nowhere else do you get such casual access to BJJ superstars of the world. Keep up the great work, guys. Well, thank you, uh, gentlemen from Australia who wrote that review on the September 14th. <laughs> so, uh, and if that's your real name, I'm just not very good at reading names and, and, uh, but, uh, there's not a, there's only one vowel in it and it's about 20 characters long. So I don't think it's your actual name and that's fine. But, uh, I do thank you for the review. Um, it means a lot to us and that's very encouraging and, and, uh, I like that you dig our style, man. And, uh, <laughs> So uh, any reviews, we always get to read those, and it's always fun uh, to get some encouragement or to figure out an area that we uh, need some work on. Next week on the show, uh, we'll have Gary back in the in the studio, I believe, unless there's another scheduling conflict. But uh, he's made it for like 99% of these things, maybe 98% of these things. So expect Gary back. So the show will have 100% more Gary. Also, we have Allison Tremblay on uh, is our interview. She was in Abu Dhabi uh, a few months ago, and... Uh, She'll come and she'll tell us her experience and she'll uh, explain uh, some of her coaching ideas. And she's a lot of fun to talk to and, and we've already got the interview recorded. And so uh, uh, we're looking forward to sharing that with you guys. And then the episode after that, so we're looking at episode 105, we're going to have Jonathan Thomas back on the BJJ Brick podcast. He, it's been since the mid-episode, uh, like one episode 30-ish that he was here and and uh, talking about jiu-jitsu. So he comes back and uh, he's all the way from Sweden uh, telling what's going on. And he's got some great uh, concepts about uh, conditioning and, and uh, guard passing and guard playing and, and different ideas. So we just kind of get deep into to jiu-jitsu and competition jiu-jitsu. And that's in episode uh, 105. So ever since episode 100, where we collected all these stories from listeners and past guests about uh, what jiu-jitsu has done for them, we've been collecting more stories. You know, if you want to record an audio clip on your phone and email it to us, uh, that would be great. Just one or two minutes long, and we'll share it here at the end of the podcast. This week, we didn't have any audio submissions for how Jiu-Jitsu has benefited you, but we did get one uh, via email, and I went ahead and uh, put it on the website there. It's by an anonymous listener who I've corresponded with a couple times back and forth, and I got the story up here, and I'm happy to share it with you guys. It's I just titled it, How BJJ Has Benefited You, Story Number One. So if you go to this pod, or go to the website there, it should be up there right underneath. Uh, this episode it came out on October 2nd. Um, it's a story of somebody who uh, was an addict who weighed 280 pounds um, and who was told uh, that in his 20s he wasn't going to be able to walk anymore because his body was given up, his joints and his legs were bad, and it was just uh, difficult to stand. Uh, but uh, he found some motivation to train and uh, got with it, lost some weight, uh, really fired up about training, really enjoying the process of jiu-jitsu and, and, and learning that and getting better. Uh, this person also suffered, uh, some, uh, pretty severe, uh, depression, even, uh, attempted suicide on uh, multiple occasions. So, uh, he was worried about being judged about his weight and about, uh, his addictions and about his suicide attempts by his classmates. None of that happened. They welcomed him in, uh, onto the mat and they, uh, accepted them as him as one of the family members of the gym there. So, uh, that's, that's one of the big things I got out of the story is just, uh, he thought that it was going to be something that it wasn't. You know, you, you think that people are going to judge you and be hard on you. And more often than not, you know, especially at Jiu-Jitsu Gym, they welcome you in. If you have a good attitude and you're there to learn and to be friendly, you're going to be part of the family. You're going to be part of the team and group. So uh, the full story is on the website there. Check it out. It's from an anonymous listener. Um, feel free to comment on it. You know, if it, if it encouraged you or motivated you in any way, uh, let them know. That way that they could read some feedback about it and, uh, and, and get some positive encouragement from 
sharing their story, which is not an easy thing to do. So, but if you want to share a story, feel free to type one up and send it to me, or you could just record it on your phone and, and send me the audio file. We'll play it on the podcast. So, I always like to share uh, positive stories about how jujitsu is affecting people's lives. Like I said, uh, before the interview started, uh, I went on the Mission 22 website, ordered up a couple t-shirts for Gary and myself, uh, $22 for Mission 22. Uh, it's a perfect price. You get a nice t-shirt. Um, that way you can, uh, just, just by wearing it, somebody could ask you about it. Um, you don't have to go and just keep talking to everybody about it. You just put the shirt on. If somebody wants to talk to you about Mission 22 or has a question about it or, or what it means, uh, there you go. You know, they've opened the door by asking the question and you get to, to share the information about them. So, uh, a lot of times the right person will ask the right question, you know, if, the, if, if you're out there promoting it. So, and also the money goes to the, to the Mission 22 and, uh, <laughs> obviously a great cause for that. Well, this time, usually I give Gary uh, some kind of a made-up book I, that he's working on that I surprise him with, and he's got to make up a crazy answer to what it could possibly mean. Uh, I assume he's working on the book tonight because this is when uh, – <laughs> I don't know what else he would be doing. Either he's uh, recording a podcast or he's working on his audio book uh, for you guys. So maybe next week we'll have an actual book ready to go by Gary. Uh, unlikely, but uh, more likely I'll just make up something on the spot and throw it at him and see what he comes up with. Uh, for our good times at the end of the show. Very kind of strange this week uh, recording. I haven't quite been uh, what I feel is like on it today, you know, uh, without Gary, uh, someone to bounce some ideas off of and to get some different points of views. It's a little different. I'm not really used to that, obviously, so it's strange talking to yourself. Uh, but uh, we got through the episode. Uh, I felt that it was very important to get the information out as soon as possible and uh, get this podcast out here. So uh, next week, should have Gary back. I should be back in the same spot as well. And uh, should be a normal episode with a little bit more uh, humor and a little better looking uh, host with Gary there, of course. Uh, we're located in Wichita, Kansas, right in the middle of the country. If you happen to come tra- traveling through, we'd be happy to train with you. Uh, hit us up on the email address there and uh, let us know when you're in town and we'll try to make some time for you. It's always fun to train with the listeners. We'll catch you guys next week with our podcast. And as always, stay sweaty, my friend, and don't forget to shower. Thank you for listening. I hope you find the time today to roll. After all, the best way to get better at Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is to do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. <laughs>